Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So my overall advice is to pick an area. It doesn't really matter on the area, but pick that area and really study it for two or three months. When you get to that level of knowledge, then you can then kind of beat the other investors that are also looking in the area. This is Property Invest Story, where we talk to successful property investors, find out more about their stories, mindset and strategy. I'm Tyrone Chump. And in this episode, we continue the conversation with Michael Shah, who will divulge why it's not where to buy, but how to buy when researching properties. You'll discover how Shah future proofs his growth for the long term, the strategy he suggests to secure $100,000 a year for retirement, and how to research to find the best deals. Having built up a portfolio of 20 properties, Shah has structured it in order to future-proof his growth in the long run through financing with a bank that best suits his purposes. I think the main thing around that is, uh, and some listeners would have heard this talked about, is actually the order of lenders, the tier of lenders that you use. Now, banks, they compete in different spaces in terms of lending. So, generally, I classify banks into three different key areas. You've got the low-rate lenders, that give a really, really good rate, but they take very little risk. So kind of banks that I'll classify that will be like your loans.com.au, your ING, your U-Bank, those types of banks. If you're only going to get one home and you want to pay it off and just a very no-fills product, then that type of bank fits very well for you. Then you've got the majors that kind of do a little bit of everything and they're quite good at in terms of what they do. And then the third types of lenders are the lenders that take on a little bit more risk. So they're willing to lend to you a little bit more, um, but because of that, they're also going to charge you a high interest rate. So depending on which banks you use along the way, then you can definitely stretch out the lending and structure that in the best way to create a bigger portfolio. So how I would suggest to do it is to use the harder to borrow from banks first. So generally with our clients, we start with the major banks. Once the major banks turn around and say, nope, no more money for you, then maybe you use another tier of lenders and then you would then use a third tier of lenders, which are the easiest, and then keep going down that chain. So how you pick the lenders actually isn't based on rates. I know when I first started, it was like, oh, which bank gives me the lowest rate? But it's anything but that because you might actually have, say, a second tier lender that's giving a really, really good rate that's actually lower than a major. But if you use that second tier lender first and then try to go to a major bank afterwards, it actually won't work. So you have to use it in the correct order to be able to build that property portfolio. Yeah, so basically, you just got to start at the top and then work your way down the ladder in order to get the, the finance that you need. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's how you choose it isn't based on race. It's like based on the servicing. It's based on the bank ability to give you equity out because early on, that's very, very important. How much equity and the ease of equity that you can get out will actually accelerate your growth. Also, rules around interest-only extensions, also the product itself. All of those things I would factor actually more important than purely the rate. Of course, it really depends on what your end goal is. Um, if your end goal is just to buy one property, pay it off, then I'll go for the lowest rate possible. Uh, if you were looking to build a larger portfolio, then the priority is slightly different. Picture the scenario. You're nearing retirement and your goal is to secure $100,000 passive income per year from your property portfolio. What strategy should you follow to make this happen? I think it's firstly, it will be going back and working out what's a limiting resource. So, once we've kind of looked at their overall financial situation, it's then saying, okay, is your limiting resource how much money you can borrow from the banks? If that is the case, then maybe we'll provide suggestions that, okay, you might need to buy properties with higher rental returns. So, maybe you might need to do a house and also a granny flat. That way, you'll get a higher rental return, help you service a little bit more and then help that borrowing capacity from the lenders. Shah says that this won't necessarily help you borrow more from the lenders. However, it could stretch out your borrowing capacity. In, a, in a most instances, it won't actually help you borrow more, but it will just prolong your borrowing a little bit further. You, you would need maybe like, you know, a 13, 14% rental return to be able to add to your servicing. So, it's very, very hard to do that. But what it does allow you to do is, let's say, for instance, you bought something um, in Sydney for 2 to 3% rental return, then you're going to run out of your borrowing capacity very, very quickly. But if you are buying something with a granny flat with 8 to 9% rental return, then that will help you prolong your servicing journey a little bit more. Oh, okay. That makes sense. The um, other way around it ultimately is also looking at ways to improve their income. And I've had so many clients where we've crunched the numbers and I've said, well, actually, if you increased your income by 20K or you know 30K, this is then what's possible. And I find when you put something that's tangent in place and you set a goal, it's actually amazing then what comes back. And I've had so many clients in that situation where we put something in place in six to 12 months later, we were able to actually progress because we put that goal in place. And um, so, um, so um, that's based on the um, servicing side of things. Now, if we've actually looked at the scenario and it turns out they've got really good servicing, maybe they're a young couple with two full-time incomes and very low debt, but they don't have a lot of equity to play with, then we just focus all of our time and strategy on creating more equity. So maybe that's doing a quick renovation, buying under market value, or maybe then instead of, say, buying in an area like, say, for instance, Logan, where the short-term capital growth potential may not be that good, maybe then buying up north in North Brisbane, where potentially it could be a little bit higher um, because for them, the equity growth is a little bit more important. So depending on what's your resource, it'll actually then factor in the types of properties you buy, where you buy, and also the things around that that you focus on. One of the biggest questions on the lips of property investors is where should I buy? Shah believes that ultimately, it should be about the deal itself rather than the area. And I'll um, kind of provide some overarching advice around that. Um, for me, in terms of where to buy, that question actually isn't very important because um, I feel that if you know a market very well, you can make money generally in any market. But I feel that, and this was the case when I first started too, I felt that if I knew where to buy, it would answer everything. But it actually doesn't because say for instance, you were looking in Geelong 
and you managed to buy the best deal in Geelong, or then you went to, say, for instance, Logan and bought the worst deal in Logan, the Geelong purchase will far outstrip the Logan purchase. It's actually the deal itself that matters. Like, you know, if you were buying Brisbane and you bought something that was quite cheap, but it turned out that it was in a flood affected zone on a busy road and had a bad shaped block, then long term wise, it's not going to do really well. You might have picked the best suburb at that time in Brisbane, but because of those fundamental issues with that property, long term wise, it's not going to do well. So I think the general area is important. And that's very easy to kind of um, gain because there's a lot of, you know, publications with a property clock. Uh, you probably don't need to, you know, have a, you know, a rocket science degree to figure out that Sydney is on the way back. Uh, Melbourne is pretty much at the peak. It's going to then start to follow Sydney. Um, so if you get the general area right, I would say at the moment, a lot of investors look in Brisbane, you know, Geelong and also Allardyce, those will be the three areas that people from my clients, from what I'm seeing, people are starting to look. If you get the general area correct, then spend the rest of your time really getting to know an area. If you are able to drill down into a suburb and you know the good pockets and the bad pockets, which street is more desirable, which street isn't, and then what's kind of like the value for a certain type of property. So I'll give you an example. If you were looking in Kalanga and you knew what a three-bedroom, one-bathroom, one-garage brick and tile property is worth and you knew it to that kind of level in different pockets of that suburb, then you'll be able to kind of estimate the value of certain properties in that area. So you have to be very, very granular to be then able to buy. Whereas if you just pick a suburb holistically, you won't be able to do so well because if you buy a bad deal in that area, it's not going to help you at all. In terms of how you should go about researching an area that you want to buy in, there are many resources such as an online forum called Property Chat that can help you make informed choices. I do understand why people gravitate in terms of where to buy because that's a very straightforward question to answer. But to answer in terms of, say, for instance, that specific suburb, what's the good streets and the bad streets, that takes a little bit more time to understand. So my overall advice whenever a client asks me that is to pick an area. So it doesn't really matter on the area, but pick that area and really study it for two or three months. When you get to that level of knowledge, then you can then kind of beat the other investors that are also looking in the area and also to pick up a good deal. But a lot of people ask me, okay, let's say for instance, I'm first starting out and I pick Logan, say, for instance, how do I study Logan? And some of the tips that I give around that is one of them is there's so many online resources that you can leverage. One of them that really helped me to kind of learn interstate when I was from Sydney and buying in Queensland was a forum called Property Chat. Now, there are threads and threads around Logan. And um, if you go through as many threads as you can and read what people are talking about in Logan, and some of those posts will actually go into specific suburbs what are the good streets and the bad streets, you'll be definitely able to pick up some of that information. So for me, that will be a starting point. And also, once you've got a little bit more of an idea on that specific area, I would say just go up there and do a day trip. Like it, you know, maybe just a Saturday, Sunday, or maybe just even a Saturday. And go through and go to as many open homes as you can. And my own trick for this is when you go to an open home and you're speaking to the agent, don't ask him whether this property and that area is good because he'll tell you it's oh. a bee's knees. Yes, <laughs> like, of course. <laughs> like, 
he won't tell you anything bad about that property. But I'll, but what I normally do is ask him about the property that I was at before. So say, for instance, you're looking at a property in Logan and it's in Woodridge. I say, oh, actually, I was just across the road at Kingston. I saw this property. What do you think about that area? What do you think about this property? And just see what he says. And once you do that and ask enough questions, then you'll definitely start to get a feel for the area. The other way that I kind of gain knowledge is actually through the property managers. The good thing is they're not trying to sell you anything. So they'll probably be able to give you more kind of like unbiased advice on the area. So, you know, just ask them, look, I'm looking to buy a property in this particular street. Do you manage any other properties in this area? What's your thoughts on it? What's the potential type of tenants that we can get in this area? And by chatting to a number of property managers, you actually get a really good insight in terms of which streets are no-go, which streets are good. And then that will then start to kind of build out your foundation on an area. So I would start from a mixture of property chat, going to the area, speaking to agents or even to property managers. And then over time, or also other investors that invest in the area. And if you do that over a couple of months time, then you'll start to learn an area very well. Coming up after the break, Shah will share some great sources to buy property hey, does anyone know a good property manager in the area? Grab a few contacts and then start calling them over the phone when you have spare time. Why he's moving into commercial property investing? I think moving forward, I would say it's going to be more geared towards the um, commercial and also the development side of things. Who's on his team of professionals? I um, would love to say mortgage brokers is the most important person on your team, but I actually think it's, uh, but I actually think it's a property manager. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Some other great sources of information that can guide you in your decisions on where to buy include buyers agents and property managers. If you don't have time, then I would say it's, um, you know, I um, would go to a buyers agent and time is like I um, have clients that use buyers agents. Some of them are overseas and, you know, they can't do this. They can't go to Brisbane. They can't go to these areas that looking in and then ask these questions. So in that instance, I would definitely leverage a buyers agent. In other instances, I would then, you know, if you don't have time per se to kind of go to that area, I would do as much as I can remotely. So in terms of property chat, those online forums, also Summersoft, I'll go through all of those. And maybe I might even put up a post on one of those forums and say, hey, does anyone know a good property manager in the area? Grab a few contacts and then start calling them over the phone when you have spare time. So you might call a property manager going, hey, look, I'm, I'm looking to buy in this area. Wanted to quiz your brains on this particular house and just see the feedback that they give. A lot of these property managers will have that interest to able to give you the right advice because they know that if you then pick up that property, then they might get that um, property for lease. So I would actually leverage property managers as much as you can. When we sat down for a chat a year ago, he shared some of his biggest learnings lessons so far in his property journey. Now, he shares a more recent investing moment which taught him to be more cautious when subdividing a lot of properties on one block. I would say that just recently, one thing that kind of um, caught me off guard in terms of and it's more so from a lending perspective. So, recently when I bought one of the properties, um, it had a DA on it. Had it, it um, had a DA for a five lot subdivision and it was one of the blocks that had 4,000 square meters. 
So when I went to um, a major lender to do the deal, they were like, hey, it's got five, um, five block subdivision on it. Um, we can't do it as a residential loan. You need to do it as a commercial. But when I then took it to the commercial arm of the lender, they were like, we can't consider this as commercial because it's got a house on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, it basically fell in the middle where no one wanted to take it. Um, in the end, I did find like a third-tier lender for it. The interest rate was very high, close to 7%. So, we managed to get it through. But it was definitely a learning from my perspective that, you know, when it does have those DAs in place, then you have to be a little bit more careful. So that was something that popped up recently. But in saying that, I mean, every day, every week, I'm, I'm learning new things around property investing. So there are always things to learn. I think moving forward, the other thing that just recently I've actually kind of looked into a little bit and also I think moving forward is a key area for me will be around commercial properties. So that's something that I think moving forward, I definitely spend more time and attention on I'm learning. And I'm sure when I get into that, I'm going to have a whole bunch of mistakes and a whole bunch of learnings to then share with your listeners. Now, he's leaning more towards investing in commercial property than residential. And, and I think, you know, like resi is very easy to get into. It's very accessible. Um, but once you've built up that property portfolio and you've got the equity and also the stability of resi, then taking on other projects like developments or commercial, I feel was a way to go. I think moving forward, I would say it's going to be more geared towards the um, commercial and also the development side of things. Of course, if I can pick up a good deal, like a good renovator that I can make some good returns on, oh, I'm happily buy them. Really depends on the deal. But in terms of, yeah, kind of my time and attention will be more geared towards um, those other things. To get to this stage in his journey, Shah has implemented some online tools to provide shortcuts on searching for the right property. However, nothing replaces your own due diligence. I would say it's um, like I don't use that many sophisticated tools for property investing. It's actually all pretty basic. In terms of my bookkeeping, I am use Excel. Um, that's that's yeah, good. Just, yeah, it just <laughs> Excel simple. spreadsheets to my accountant. Um, so very basic. Um, I know early on, like I share on this story. So when I first started, I used a tool called Investor which oh, you yes. might have heard yes. of. So it kind of like if you um, punch in a property, it will tell you the estimated value. It's also got a very good search tool where it will search the general area, pull up any potential deals that it might kind of find, and then you can then shortlist. So instead of looking through, say, 100 listings, it kind of filters that down and go, hey, here's 10 deals that's potentially quite good. And I used that when I first started. Now, after kind of using those tools and also kind of researching myself, I find what those tools are good at is providing you a shortcut. So instead of, say, taking two or three months to learn an area, that tool might be able to kind of get to that in one or two weeks when you kind of figure out what search criteria is to use. The thing, though, is once you get to know an area really, really well, your knowledge of that area and also the deals that you can spot actually outstrips that tool. So that tool actually becomes obsolete. The main issue with a lot of those tools is the information that they're being based on is very generic. So I'll give you an example. Sometimes they'll filter on the average three-bedroom house price. So they'll then compare your purchase price to the three-bedroom house price, um, whether it's higher or low and so on and so forth. But in certain markets, you could have a three-bedroom high set with two bedrooms underneath, along with the kitchenette and also a bathroom, that value is going to be very, very different to your generic three bedroom. And those systems won't be able to pick it up. 
So that's why I find that once you get to know an area, the best way to kind of get to really understand the value of a property is just to go through the sold section in realestate.com.au or in domain. And at the end of the day, property investing, particularly resi, it's it's just based on comparables. Um, once you know what the comparable value of that property price is, and if you can pick it up for cheaper, then you're doing well. So if you're looking at buying a three-bedroom, one-bathroom, one-garage, brick-and-tile property, and you know the average price for that in that specific suburb is 350000 and you picked up one for 310, then you're doing pretty well. So it's just a matter of going through the sole section in realestate.com and then kind of getting those comparables and getting those numbers. So I use realestate.com.au a lot just for the sold section. Another website that I'll use is Investor just to search up the vacancy rate. So if you type in the suburb along with vacancy rate at the end of it in Google, it actually brings you to the investor site, which tells you what the vacancy rate is. And for a particular area, I always go for 3% or less on the vacancy rate. So I use that tool a little bit just to figure out what the vacancy rate is. And apart from that, um, I just read a lot of property chat. So those will be the main things I use. There's not really kind of any kind of special tools. It's I, I, um, I would say spending your time on realestate.com, both on the for sale and the sold section, is actually the best way to learn the market. Hmm. Yeah, and that requires time. So for, for yeah, exactly. For, for, yeah, for someone who who's quite busy full time with two kids and lots mm. of other ha- things happening in their life, it, it can be quite challenging. Which is the reason why yeah. y- you get experts like yourself to be able to do that. Hmm. Yeah, or um, you know, if you don't have the time, then you can then use some of those websites like Investor, Price Finder, Residex to give you an estimation on what that property value is. But we run so many of those through the banking softwares that we have and also those programs. And sometimes they're accurate, but I've just seen in instances where it's just they're so inaccurate, either higher or lower, that I've just tended to disregard them over time. Talking now about how land tax affects his properties in Queensland, Shah explains how it works. So um, land tax is definitely a consideration and something in the back of my mind. So in Queensland, the land tax threshold uh, off the top of my head is 600000 under your own name. And each of these Logan purchases, the land value on a 600 square meter block is generally about 150000 So you could buy four properties without paying land tax. So at the moment, I'm well and truly above land tax. And that's also the other reason why for some of the more recent purchases, I've been setting up trust to buy them. So the good thing about Queensland is every trust that you set up it comes with $350,000 land tax threshold. Oh, that's pretty good. So, yeah, so that's why I've set up a bunch of trusts. So I'll set up a trust, use up the land tax, set up another trust, use up the land tax and set up another trust and so on and so forth. So in Queensland, you can actually never pay land tax. Uh, <laughs> the only difference is you then end up paying your accountant a lot of money. That's so. what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to weigh it up. So you have to weigh it up. So um, I I find that the land tax up to a million dollars, it's about $4,000 a year that you need to pay on land tax. So for me, that's not over the top. Um, but once you bridge the 1 million landmark, I know the rates go up a little bit more. So, um, yeah. So, when I first crunched the numbers, at the beginning, it was either pay the accountant or pay the tax office. So, I decided to take up it a little bit further and pay the tax office. But recently, 
based on the property, particularly the um, development potential ones, I'll be buying them in trusts. And this is when a good accountant is just worth their weight in gold. It's definitely speak to a good property accountant that can guide you through this because um, it's different for every purchase, different for every scenario, for every client. It's definitely not clear-cut. People that make up part of his team include a property manager, an accountant and a solicitor. I would love to say mortgage brokers is the most important person on your team, but I actually think it's but I actually think it's a property manager. And I would say spend your time in finding a good property manager because a property manager are the ones from a week in week out basis make sure that the money is flowing in. So uh, if you can find a good property manager, that will save you a lot of headache down 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 on the road. So I would say property manager, accountant, very very important. Um, particularly as your portfolio starts to grow, you then need to figure out what the best structure is to buy those properties. Should it be 50-50? Should it be 100% in one person's name? Should it be using a trust? An accountant can answer all of those questions for you. A good solicitor is very important when you're buying a property, doing all the searches, negotiating with the other side solicitor, getting the property to settlement. Um, Most of the times, it'll be a very smooth process, but when it kind of falls Apart, a good solicitor will definitely come in and save you. So very, very important. And apart from that, there's you know other teams that I use, um, just tradies to fix properties. Um, also depreciation. So you know um, having a quantity surveyor to do the depreciation reports. Um, you have your mortgage broker slash banker, but those will be the main people that I would have on the team. Okay, that's really good. Yeah, and then also if you're um, using a buyer's agent to search for your properties and also a buyer's agent at the top end. Yeah, so there, there are quite a number of people that you need to sort of um, be in touch with in order to be able to mm-hmm. do a good property transaction and making sure that you're on top of things. Definitely. And I would say, I mean, it's actually very easy to um, kind of get into when you first get into property investing, the thing that you want to do first is go and start looking at the property. Um, The best thing that you can actually do is to spend that initial time forming your team. So if you get a really strong team around you, then they'll help you progress a lot further. And it's kind of like, you know, the analogy that I use is in team sport, you're going to be as as strong as your weakest link. So if you find that you've got a team member on your property journey that's a little bit weaker, then you're going to spending all your time in managing them and dragging them along so that's why in the beginning spend the time to form a really really good team that will save you a lot of headache you also get really really good advice along the way so actually help you grow faster if you want to learn more from Shah about his property investing strategies the best way to do so is via email they wanted to get in touch the easiest way will be through email michael at mortgagechannel.com.au or they can visit my website and put in a query. So mortgagechannel.com.au, those would be the best ways to get hold of me. Thank you to Michael Shah, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinveststory.com. Simply type in the search bar, Michael Shah, and select that episode to learn more about his story.